I've been reading the book of Genesis lately. And Genesis, for some of you, might want to know. It's the first book in the Bible. It's where they find, we find the famous stories. Hey, Tony. Um, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Noah and the ark. Um, I always tease the kids. Now, what? how many animals of each kind did Moses take on the ark? And boy, they go at it. It was two. Two of each kind. Now, oh, wait a minute. How many did Moses take on the ark? Two, Poppy. Two. I, I, I'm going to have them all jacked up. I'll just say that. It's a story of, Genesis is a story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the dreamer, Joseph, and the most incredible promises of God to his people really stand out in Genesis. Anyway, I'm going to take you in my text to Genesis chapter 22, and just before we go there, I want to set this up a little bit because Abraham uh, is an old guy, 75 years old. Anybody that's 75 that's in here today, which I don't think we have any, we got a pretty young bridge. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of you are getting there, Anthony. Um, uh, 75 years old, and God promises him, can you imagine at 75 that he's going to have, um, he's going to have a child, you know, that they're going to, he and Sarah are going to have a child and it's 24 years go by after that, and still no son. And finally, Abraham's 100 years old, and Sarah finally has Isaac. And Isaac was born. And they waited for what seemed like eternity for God's promise. And now here we find that uh, Isaac, the son, the promised son, is just say in his teenage years. We'll say it that way. And we pick up this story in chapter 22. And I'm going to share this with you. It's, it's a lot, a, probably more reading than I've ever done uh, in a message. But the story is intriguing. It's intriguing enough, I think, that it's going to keep your attention. Um, uh, and just I just wanted to warn you, it's a lot of scripture. Um, now, it came about after these things, which I just mentioned to you, that God, and this is important, because I'm going to talk about this today. God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. And I want you to notice as I'm reading this, the, it's sort of like just a simple, it's like a conversation that, Shay, you and I would have. It's just like, that's how Abraham talked to God, and God talked to Abraham. It was just, just like that. How many want to have a conversation with God just like that every day? Now, check this out. Um, it's it's It's... God tested Abraham, and he says to him, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Now, now check this out. It's verse 2 now in this chapter. In verse 2, it says, uh, he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, I want you to notice verse 3 and how it just kind of just like goes right on. Because I can tell you right now, Jessica, if God had told you that, you would not sleep. No parent, I don't think, here today, 
would sleep, including me. But look what Abraham does. So Abraham rose early in the morning. I'm like putting this off. Ain't no way I'm jumping into this one. God, you better be giving me lightning, something to tell me for real. I mean, it's going to take a lot. But that's not the kind of relationship Abraham had with God. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split some wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. And I want you to listen to this. Here's faith. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Now, Abraham is the only one who knew what God had asked him to do. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering from this point on uh, and laid it on Isaac, his son. In other words, Isaac's a teenager. Man, he can carry this stuff. And he took in his own hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And verse 7 says, Isaac spoke to Abraham. Because, see, Isaac... While he's a teenager, he knows well enough to know that dad's going to worship. We're going to go worship. Um, And he knows what that involves. So Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. I see that. Behold, the fire and the wood. But I see that. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Don't you think that Isaac at this point knew What was going to happen? Isaac's a teenager. Abraham's 113 or something like that. Don't you think Isaac could have outrun him? I know I could have at 57. But that's not the kind of faith that not just Abraham, but Isaac had. Verse 10. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay a son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Verse 18, 14, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it's said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. I told you that in the beginning of the, the chapter, it says that God tested Abraham. So I want to call this message, Passing God's Test. Passing God's Test. 
You see, the devil tempts us so that we'll fail. And God tests us so that we'll pass. The complete opposite is happening there. God never wants us to fail a test. God's test, if you take it and you fail, oh, you just take it over again. You just take it, if you fail, you take it over again. You just take it over again until you pass. But you know what, really, really what the test was that day? This was the test. Who is first in your life, Abraham? Hey, Abraham, am I first? This is God. Am I first, Abraham? See, the greatest threat to God being first in your life, listen closely, are the greatest blessings in your life. (laughs) It's the promise. It's, it's, It's the blessing that we prayed for for a long time, for years sometimes. And once it comes, it's so special to us, listen to me, it takes God's place. Like, like, like the job God gives you. God gives you that job and you start missing church to perform on that job. And the blessing becomes more important than the blesser. This is what's happening here in this story. Isaac was the son of the promise, and he waited, as we just talked about, 25 years for the promise, for for the blessing. And God comes to Abraham and says, hey, lay the promise down. It's like him coming to you and saying, hey, lay the job down that he just gave you. Lay lay down the house. Lay lay down that dream. Lay down the relationship, that, that relationship. Lay down the money. whatever it is that has become so important that we desire, that we cherish. And what God wants to know is who's first in your life? Who's first in your life? God's saying, before Isaac showed up, Abraham, I was first. Now that you've got the the promise in your life, I I just, I want to test you. I want to test you out. Are you willing to lay down the most important thing in your life for me? Proving, proving that I'm the most important thing in your life. And so Abraham, he passes the test. And immediately the Lord provided another sacrifice. God God never intended to take Isaac. Listen close. When God tells you to lay something down, his intentions are to give you something more appropriate, greater than you have. And immediately, Abraham, he looks over and he sees this, this ram. He, he, he's caught in this, in this brush. This poor guy didn't know what hit him. God had provided an appropriate sacrifice. And Abraham calls that place Jehovah Jireh meaning God will provide. And because of this episode, the Bible says the saying just stuck in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Now let me paraphrase that for you. The meaning is basically, 
listen very closely, in the place where we lay down our best for God, his best provision is released. In, in, in the place where we lay down our best for God, his provision is released. Let me say it this way. When God gets our best, we get his best. That's, that's a great deal every time when we're talking about God. Because, because as soon as he lays down Isaac, the Lord says, because you've chosen me, look what's behind door number one. Genesis chapter 22. If you don't believe me, verse 16, it picks up the story. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, I have not withheld your son, and, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Oh my gosh, blessing. I will bless you. And multiplying? I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sands which is on the seashore. And your descendants, your kids and your grandchildren shall, shall possess the gates of their enemies. That's big. And your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So in response to, to Abraham's sacrifice, or I should say willing to sacrifice Isaac, God doesn't just bless Abraham, he blesses all of his descendants. He says, your descendants, they won't even have to fight. I'm gonna give you the, the, the gate of your enemies. <laughs> life's gonna be easier on them. How many want life easier on your kids? Some of you are going, ah, not sure. Life's going to be easier on them because of why? Because of your faith. How important is it for you to leave a legacy of faith? How important is it for you to pass down faith to your kids? See, there's some of us that God is asking us to do something. <clears throat> it, it, it's something that you're uncomfortable with. It may be uh, giving your time, serving. It, it, it may be tithing. It may be, it may be sharing Jesus with a coworker. It, it, it could be giving up something that you know good and well he wants you to get rid of. And you're wrestling with it. In other words, there's an Isaac in your life. There, there's, there's a blessing that's in the way. There, there's something that, that we're clinging to. There's something very special to you. And God is asking us to lay that thing down. And you're struggling terribly with it. But let me ask you this question, especially to the parents here. What if God would bless all your children? What if you'd bless all your grandchildren? If you did? Lay it down. What, what if what you're doing right now doesn't just affect you, but it affects your kids and the generations to follow? Remember when 
when Abraham lays Isaac down, the Lord says from heaven, from heaven, the Lord says, because you did this thing, I bless you, but, but I bless your descendants after you. See, some of us struggle and, and maybe even take a risk if it's just ourselves that's involved and we think, you know what, I know this thing's not right. I know it's a problem in my life or whatever, but, but, we, but we love our children. We love our grandchildren so much that, that what you wouldn't do for you, man, you'd do for them in a heartbeat. Listen to me. Everything you do affects them. Parents, hear me. Everything you do affects them. Everything you do affects them. I want so badly to leave a legacy of faith to my children and grandchildren. I've told this story before, but uh, when Dustin was just a little boy, he played in the Little League World Series two years back to back. He played on a team that was a year older than him, and they played uh, up. So he was playing against kids that were two years older than him. He was good at ball. Uh, he, he learned everything he did from me. <laughs> Not really. It was, it was, he had an older brother that, that he was able to learn from. And, <clears throat> and so, so he, he, he played, and, and, and they, were, they were always going to tournaments, I mean, all over the country. And, and they, they, when they played tournaments here, you know how it is. It's, you know, long days and, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, 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 um, and so they had already played this tournament all the way up to the championship. And Sunday morning after church, uh, or afternoon, I'll say it that way, was, um, was this game that they had just won. And, and, and the coach would come up to Crystal and I with Dustin right there by me. Um, and, and he knew that we did not go to ball games or play in ball games when we had church. And he knew we had church on Sunday nights. So he comes up to me and he says, man, we need Dustin. He needs the pitch. It's the championship game. We, he, he needs the pitch. We need him. Can you make it? And part of dad's going like, he's a gamer. I know, I know, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna give us the thumb. Yeah, I'll pitch, I'll pitch, dad. I looked down at him and said, what do you think, bud? And I'll never forget it. He looked up at me with his eyes at 10 years old and he said, but dad, don't we have church? You see, parents, money can't buy that. Money can't buy that. Indy, my oldest granddaughter, she, you, it's not like you have to get her to come to church. It's not like that. She doesn't want to just come to church. She wants to be the first one at church. She wants to be the person who's there early to see all the people going and, and practicing and setting up. She wants to be there first thing. The other day, Crystal was telling me Roman was over the house, and we had a mother-in-law and father-in-law were over there, and I was out, and they were having lunch. And um, usually when they're having lunch, uh, Papa prays. And Roman says, hey, can I pray? Can I pray? You get, see, guys, money, money can't buy that. Money can't buy that. Parents, everywhere I go, parents ask me this question. What's your secret, Steve? Why, why do both your boys love Jesus? Why do they both, you know, love people and, they act, and, and they're fully involved in the mission, God's mission? And, and, and listen to me. I'm going to tell you something, and this is straight up honest. I don't push them. 
They have so much passion for God in their lives. They're pushing me. They're pushing me. Parents, no amount of money can buy that for you. Money can't buy that kind of peace at night. Money can't buy that kind of joy to wake up the next day and go, my kids are giving everything they got to God. You see, there's a, a legacy of faith that's been passed. It's not because of me. It's a, it's a legacy of faith that's been passed down to me. I'm third generation Christian. My kids are fourth. My grandkids are fifth generation. I heard someone say that the reason that they kept calling God in Scripture the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is because whatever lasts for three generations can't be stopped. You see, some of you, some of you are first generation. Dear God, please pass down a legacy of faith for your kids' sake. Some of you are second generation. Take on that faith and pass it down to the third and so on. Not just to another generation either, because gosh, this world, guys, right now is in great need of seeing people of faith of experiencing people of faith leave a legacy of faith. This is why God gave such incredible blessings to the children of Israel because of what Abraham did. He, put, he was faithful. He was the father of faith. This story of Abraham and Isaac is so thought-provoking to me anyway. It raises interesting uh, thoughts and interesting questions in my mind and and what God asked Abraham to do as a parent seems just unfathomable to me. Um, and then to see what Abraham does as a father seems impossible. So here's a question that, that, that comes out of this. Are there other places in Scripture beyond the story of Abraham and Isaac where God only releases his best when we give him our best? Are there other places in Scripture is, is that scriptural? <clears throat> and I'm going to say, yes, it is. From Genesis to Revelations, it's in scripture. The first time we see it is the story of Cain and Abel. Remember in Genesis, in the beginning, God told Cain and Abel, bring me your best. Abel did and Cain didn't. And you know, the, you know what happened. God blessed Abel's offering and, and he wouldn't bless Cain's. In Proverbs, moving through scripture, chapter 3, 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. Why? So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There's a give and a take, right? Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things are going to come to you. But seek first. I mean, all he's saying is seek first the kingdom of God. Seek, seek first. Seek God first before you make a decision. Seek him first. Let, let God be the Lord of your life in a practical way. Seek him first. And then the Bible says all these results are going to come to you. Once again, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and we put it into your bosom. For with the same, listen, for with the same measure that you use, 
it will be measured back to you. So give it a kind of think there. Look, look what it says. God doesn't decide how blessed you are. You, you do. You, you do. God desire, his desire is to give you the best, but, but it's according to your standard of measure. If you want God's best measure, you give God your best measure. Move on to the last one, Revelations. It says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and they're not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered and you've got patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, lampstand means uh, re revelation, like favor, God's favor. Uh, the joy, joy. Oh, it's joy. You heard the song, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus is saying here, I know all the things that, that you've done. You've done a lot of things. Unfortunately, you forgot why you were doing them. Unfortunately, you forgot who you were doing them for. You're not doing all that you do because you love me anymore. You, you, you've left your first love. You're no longer passionate about me. And he says, if you don't get it back, I'm, I'm going to take your lampstand. I gave you my best. You were passionate about me. I was first in, in, in your life. I had your love, your first love. I had your best. But now that you've taken your best away from me, I'm going to take the lampstand away. You see, God knows. Some of you are only here because of your spouse. wants you to be here. God knows when you're only here just to, you know, kind of put on a show. God knows that you serve, but you do it begrudgingly. God knows your heart. And that, you know what? That's what God wants. He wants our heart. He wants your heart. Listen, lukewarm Christians are a bad advertisement for an unbelievably great God. And when he's saying, I'm going to take my lampstand away from you, he's saying, when you were passionate about me, I brought as many people your way as possible. I mean, you were like a beacon. I mean, you were this inspiring others kind of person. I gave you favor. I wanted people to be around you. Because you were, you were in love with me. You were the greatest, such a great example. And now that you're no longer passionate, I still love you and you're still saved and everything, but, but, but you're not going to get my best. Yes, yes, it's scriptural. From Genesis to Revelations, when God gets our best, we get his best. Now, if that's the case, here's another question for you. Is that fair? I mean, is it fair that God demands our best, the best of our time, the best of our possessions, the best of our ability? Is that fair? If I made a cake and I brought it here to you today, 
And I asked somebody, hey, cut, cut the cake up and cut it up in, you know, whatever, different sizes. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Just whatever, different sizes, un, divide them unequally. And then just have somebody hand them out to everybody, peace out to everybody. I mean, I made the cake. It's my cake. I made the cake. I just, I, 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 it was my decision to share it with you. Is that fair that I, that I did that and give just unequal parts? Is that fair? Is it fair? Well, he is, he is our creator. He, he, he made us. And not only did he make us, not only did he do that, but he died for us on the cross to save us from our sins, to save us from, from hell. He, he is, he's our savior. He, he gives us the, the Holy Spirit. He gives us his word. He gives us eternal life. He, he's given us all these things. He's given us his best. He made, he made us. Is it fair that he demands our best? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18 through 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You were bought with a price. The Apostle Paul and, and Peter and Mary were recorded in Scripture, three of them calling themselves the bondservants of the Lord. A bondservant was a person who was owned by his master for life. And the Bible says you were bought by him. You, you've been, if you're a Christian, you've been redeemed. And, and redemption means to buy back. Jesus took his blood and purchased you back from the enemy. He, he's your owner. He's, he, he's your master. He's your creator. The, the one who purchased you with his blood. And, and you hold back and deny your best from him? You better believe it's fair. It's more than fair. When the Bible says, honor the Lord with your possessions, we're saying, God, everything in my life came from you, and I honor you with it. Jesus deserves everything we've got. He deserves everything. I wouldn't have the breath in my lungs if it weren't for the grace of God. You bet it's fair. Another question, if God requires our best, before he releases his best to us. Isn't that kind of a all based on works and isn't that kind of like performance based and all that kind of thing? Isn't that what we kind of talk is not about? It doesn't seem like love to me. Isn't that kind of like saying you do something for me, I do something for you. I, I, I want to draw an important distinction of what I'm saying here today because the most important blessing in your life and in eternity are yours for free, for free. By the love and the grace of God. <clears throat> Salvation is free to you. It's given to you by the love and the grace of God. You, you can't do anything to earn God's grace. There's no amount of works that, that you could do to earn it. Nothing. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. Not even a little bit. 
So this is not performance for salvation that I'm talking about today. You, you don't have to earn salvation as if the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't enough. Oh my gosh, uh, uh, Jesus' blood shed on that cross was the ultimate sacrifice. And it, it's more than enough, and, and you could never earn that. I'm the worst of you here today, except for Walter, maybe. <clears throat> But his blood was even enough for you and me, Walter. Jesus loves you, and he made sure that he made a way for you. If you have a repentant heart, if you've received his spirit, his free gift, it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's finished, God said. It's yours. Listen to me closely. God's motivation is not righteousness, it's relationship. We're, we're not righteous because we've given God our best. We're righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So the question is not about his love for us. The question is our love for him. And we go into this verse or this set of scripture here in Matthew 22, 36 through 40 that the Bridge Church has gone through many, many times before because it's one of our purposes and, and the most important one. Teacher, it says, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said the most important thing that you should do is to to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind. In other words, worship God, all right? Did you know that the number one reason that God gave you a mind is for you to love him? You know the number one reason why God gave you a body is to love him? The number one reason that he gave you a will is to love him. The number one reason that he gave you a spirit is to love him. Jesus said the two most important things are to worship God and love people like you want them to love you. Jesus himself said the entire Bible hangs on those two commandments like a door hangs on two hinges. Both those commandments revolve around what? Relationship. And that's all God wants. God just wants a relationship with you. Jesus didn't save us from our sins so that we go, hey, thanks, God. I'll see you later. I got this on my own now. I'm good. Jesus died on that gruesome cross in hopes that you'd love him back. Jesus desires your love, but not just your love. He desires it first. He also requires, guys, our best because he knows that our passions cannot be separated from our priorities. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up your, yourselves for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in to steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, Wherever your treasure chest is, like wherever you're, you're putting all the most important things in your life, your heart is going to be there also. 
The word heart here in the, the context of this particular scripture means seed of passion. So wherever you're putting the best in your life, your passion is going to be there. I mean, that's just natural, right? It's, it's just the way it is. If you're giving the best of your life at work, well, then your passion is at work. If you're giving the best in your life to your children or to your spouse, your, your passion's with your children. Wherever the best goes, that's where your passion is. So God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to lay down Isaac. Why? Because God wants to make sure that Abraham's passion is first with him. And when Abraham raises the knife, God says, stop, you've passed the test. Now that I see that you fear God, that I'm first in your life, I'm going to bless you. You you gave me your best, and now I know that I am your treasure. There's a lot of great things in life, but the greatest thing in life is God himself. The number one passion in life should be God, nothing else. Nothing else. My last question is, how do you give God your best? How do you do that? I want to I talk through just a few of them. How do you do that in a practical way, in a practical manner? The first one is, make Jesus the Lord of every area of your life. Make him the Lord of every area of your life. You, you have to decide, is he really going to be the Lord of my finances? Really? Well, then before you start buying something, hey, let, let's pray. God, do I, should I buy the car? Should I buy the house? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? Whatever. Is the Lord, is he Lord of my relationships? Before I get into the relationship, do I pray about that? Do I ask God about it? Is he the Lord of the things that come out of my mouth? Is he the Lord of my morals? Is he the Lord of my emotions? Is he the Lord of my talents and my skills? It's a huge question that we all have to answer. Secondly, practical thing is pray about life's significant decisions. And almost as important as praying about them is is don't act without the Lord's approval. Every time that you're praying about a decision, it's like you're laying down Isaac. If you're really giving God your best, you're praying, Lord, If you don't want me to have this, I don't want it. And that's tough for us, especially in America. You know what's best for me. Thirdly, seek God daily during the best part of your day. Now, the best part of your day may not be the same for you and may not be the same for me. Crystal's best part of the day is the best I think you should do. It's the first in the morning. First thing, I'm a night owl. But whatever the best time of your day is, seek God during that time. Next thing, give God the first part of your finances. Tithe and give. Tithe and give from the first of your finances in obedience to the Lord. As, as I'm going to just say this here today. As first-generation givers, which many of our, our Bridge family is, we, we are a new church, a lot of new folks just getting exposed to this thing. It can be terrifying to tithe, to give 10%. But God blesses generations because of it. 
<laughs> my, my, the church that I, the pastors would have a need, and they would, they would ask in front of everybody. We've done it once or twice here. Don't do it a lot. I don't plan to, because God's blessed us all a lot. But there'd be a need at the church, and the pastor would say, explain the need, not to embarrass anybody or anything like that, or not even say who it was. And he'd say, but we need some money. And my grandmother, she would raise her hand, I'd give 50. And like a competition, another grandfather on the other side would say, I'll give 75. <laughs> and my grandmother would not let that happen. It's like an auction. I'm giving 100. She would not let somebody out give her. You see what I'm saying? My mother and father gave literally everything they had. And I'm telling you right now, that's why our pastors, Dustin and Devin, give and give and give way beyond their tithe. At the bridge, we've been so careful around this money topic because we never want people to, to, to run people off thinking that's all we care about. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, that's the furthest thing from our mind. We, 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 that's, we, do, not, we do not want that. Money is not the thing here. We still don't want to give, no matter what, we still don't want to give anyone the wrong impression, but God blesses generations when you give. And as your pastor, I don't want to be blamed for not uh, uh, sharing with you the blessings from giving. Honest talk here. Honest talk. Tithing isn't really the same as giving. Tithing is returning to God what already belongs to him. It's really all, guys, it's really all God's anyway. He lets us steward it. If we're not currently tithing, that's, that's certainly the place to start because it brings the blessings on the rest of our finances. I, I believe that God, God wants to not only bless our finances, but also multiply our finances. Everybody say amen. And it's in your giving, listen to me, it's in your giving where that multiplication happens. Just as Jesus blessed and multiplied the two fish and five loaves that the little boy gave on that hillside in Galilee that day. If the boy hadn't given his lunch, if the boy hadn't given, no one else would have eaten. Not, not to mention the 5,000 plus, plus the leftovers afterwards that God multiplied. God can use and cause your finances to go so much further than your own smarts and your own diligence. The principles of multiplication are just as powerful today as they were on that day in Galilee with that little boy's lunch. And finally, to give God your best. Lastly, use your gifts. God gave them to you to serve him, to serve God and advance his kingdom. That should be the, the primary purpose that you live for. Many of you, guys, I'm going to just say this right now. I'm just like, if I had buttons, they'd be popping right now. Uh, 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 many of you serve here at the bridge. In fact, the percent of bridge family that's serving relative to those that are not serving is off the charts higher than most churches. Give yourself a hand for that, please. I'm proud of you guys for that. 
Whatever skill that you have, if it's money, if it's education, if it's being a therapist, if it's, if it's IT-related, if, it, if it's a video production person, which we're looking for right now to help, um, whatever it is, the number one reason that you do what you do is to glorify God and expand his kingdom. All of us have ministries wherever we go. I like to say here at the bridge that every member is a minister. God gave you some skills and some talents, and the number one uh, uh, thing that, 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 that you can do with them is to glorify him. This story about Abraham and Isaac, as I conclude, I, I say it's off the charts amazing. And just like with Abraham... What God wants to know as we stand all together here today here's what God wants to know today are you going to give him your best that's what he wants to know is he first in your life here's my point Someone's getting your best. Someone is. Work, maybe. Maybe it's another person. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's something material that, maybe it's your house, it's your car. Some, some, someone's getting your best. Something's getting your best. Some, someone's getting your best, but only God deserves it. Guys, it's, it's all about him. It's all about him. And he deserves your best and him alone. Let me ask you to give God your best today, to trust him, to trust him. Imagine the trust that Abraham had to have to Moved in the way he did as quickly as he did that. Can you imagine that? The kind of faith and trust that he had in God that he knew that whatever was going to happen, it was going to be good. Can you imagine that faith? I implore you to give God your best. Trust him. And when you do, when you do, in the place where you give God your best, you're going to find God's best blessing 